I don't see Mike and Jamie right now. Are you guys here? Jamie, thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to embarrass you guys right now, but I want everyone to see you guys. So I'm going to ask both of you to stand up right now. If you don't know Mike and Jamie, I just want to, yeah, okay, all right, I know. Here's why I have them stand, though. A year from now, no, next fall, they're going to be launched from this place. Our church is in partnership with John Piper's church, Bethlehem Baptist, to do a church plant in Grand Rapids in Easttown. And I would love to see 100 people, the Crossroads 100, uh, at least, at minimum, who would start praying about that and just be a part of this. Um, Mike now and Jamie have both been in our family for several months. We've gotten to know them. You just got to know them even more this morning. And they're just a blessing for God. And they allow for us to do what we want to do. We do want to be a church planning church. So who's fired up about that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to make another kind of announcement about 24-7 prayer, but I think that thing's filled up. Is that right? Can anybody speak to that? A couple spaces left, Brad. Some of you guys wonder why we do this. Like, why did I have to get in my car last night at 11 o'clock and drive down there when I could just pray in my own prayer closet? This is just one of the ways that we're trying to make space for God. Okay, it's not heavy yoked or anything like that, but this is one of the ways where we as a church, for three weeks unbroken prayer. We're going to make space for God. And God can do whatever he wants. Okay? That's why we do it. And uh, if you didn't do it this time, maybe next time. All right. Genesis, going through the life of Joseph. We're not done with this yet. We're going to go a little bit backwards in terms of the story. Genesis 38. Brace yourself. This is quite a story. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adulam named Harah. Now, let me just, right out of the gates, just show you something. You probably already know this, but when you read the Bible, read Deeply. Judah left his brothers, the family through whom God's working, and he went down. He went down. That's a picture. Get that picture in your mind. Because that's foreshadowing everything that's to come. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man, going down further, named Shua, married her, made love to her. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Kazib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar, or Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, 
was wicked in the Lord's sight. The Bible doesn't explain how he was wicked, but that he was wicked. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, the second son, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother, he spilled, I'd rather say his seed, on the ground to keep, him, keep them from providing offspring or seed for his brother. And the reason I choose that word, because that's a biblical word. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Seed is how God's going to enter the chaos and bring shalom. I know. You guys are like, holy cow. You know, we're reading God's word here. <clears throat> now, what he did in doing that was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Then the Lord said, then, or Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's house until my third son, Shalak, grows up. For he thought, he may die too. This girl's bad news, just like his brother. So Tamar went to live in her own father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep. And, a friend, and his friend Hira, the Adalamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear the sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat down at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. So when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, well, what pledge should I give you? Well, give me your wallet. It's basically what it's the equivalent of. Um, give me your credit card and your driver's license, and that will be enough. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. And after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat, by the friend of the Adalamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman. He needs his wallet back. But he did not find her. He asked the men who live there, where is the shrine prostitute? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said to him, I didn't find her. And besides, the men who live there said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, well, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock." Again, that's foreshadowing, because he's about to become a laughingstock. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. And Judah said, basically, it's four words in the Hebrew. Take her, burn her. And as she was being brought out, she sent a, a message to her father-in-law, Judah. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. See if you recognize whose wallet and credit card 
and driver's license this is. And Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give to her my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and she was giving birth. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it to his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out instead, and she said, This is how you have broken out. And she named him Perez, Peretz, which means break out. And then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was named Zerah. This is God's word. You can be seated. All right. Who wants to preach this? I mean, this is a flat-out mess. There's death, deception, injustice, oppression, hatred, manipulation, prostitution, incest. This is humanity at its worst. Also on top of that, Genesis 38. I mean, when you get the flow of the whole Joseph story, this thing gets, the Joseph story gets started in Genesis Uh, 37, and now all of a sudden it's like this commercial break to this great movie or this great show. And you're left wondering, okay, now why would God interrupt this awesome story of Joseph for this? Why would he take up precious space in his word to shine the spotlight on such a messy situation? I mean, it doesn't get much messier than Genesis 38. I mean, it, it really was almost too shameful to read. Listen. Mess is the world we live in. Mess is what we are or can be. Whether it's messy lives or messy families or... A messy world, that's life without God. And I'm just going to kind of get a little bit to the punch here at the beginning, because I just feel like I need to. At the end of today's text, there's a son that's born. His name is Perez. Perez, as we just read, means breakthrough. It's the promise to God to Adam already in Genesis 3.15 that... Through your seed, there's going to be breakthrough. God then comes to Jacob in Genesis 28, 10 and says, your, your, your descendants are going to break through and they're going to break out north, south, east, west to bring shalom to chaos. So, let's start this morning with Tamar. Who is Tamar? Well, Tamar in our story is a powerless widow who's seeking justice. That's who she is. Her name means palm tree. Palm tree in those days is the symbol for fertility. So she gets married to Judah's firstborn son, Ur. Ur, by the way, spelled backwards, is the word for for evil. The text tells us this. Ur is wicked. He's evil. 
So God takes him out. Boom. Gone. Now, we don't fully understand what it means to be a widow in those days. But a woman's protection in those days, it was her husband. And her worth as a woman, whether you like this or not, it's just the way it was. Her worth was directly tied to her children. Because without a husband, without children in her life, she was worthless, powerless, and vulnerable. And this is Tamar. Also know this, it's the legal responsibility of the father-in-law to care for this widow. Judah was to protect her. More importantly, if he had another son, he was to give this son to her in marriage so that he could become a kinsman redeemer. And in so doing, Tamar would get her life back. Judah would redeem her. That's why we read what we read in verse 8. It says, Then Judah said to his second-born son, Onan, sleep with your brother, brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as the brother-in-law to raise up seed for your brother. So now what we have is Mr. Vigorous, because that's what Onan means, and Miss Fertility coming together. We're like, okay, this should work. But it doesn't, because... He wants sex, but no children, and he practices an ancient form of birth control. God then calls this evil. God takes him out. This is the Bible. This is the God you just sang to. And see, if you don't understand the, the, the larger story of the Bible, you do what preachers sometimes do with this text. We either just sweep it under the rug and act like it doesn't exist, or we make these crazy applications that I'm not going to get into right now. See, if you don't know what the larger story is, like the promise that God gives Adam in Genesis 3, verse 15, then You don't know that this is about more than just some wasted seed, but this is the seed that God's going to plant in the world to bring shalom to chaos. That's what's at stake in Genesis 38. So Tamar is a widow. Verse 11, because the second husband died, she's left to wait for the third son Because legally, according to the custom of that day, she's not allowed to marry anyone else. She has to wait then for this third son, who's a boy, to become a man. So she does. And she waits. Not realizing that because of what it says about Judah in verse 11. I mean, Judah sends her away back to her old family. Because he has zero intentions of providing for her. He's done. And so Tamar now, in her mind, is under the control of a father-in-law who cares nothing for her. So Tamar is trapped. Her life has come to this dead end. And see, at some point, she realizes this. So what she does then is she takes justice into her own hands. 
And you have to say this is a pretty bold and aggressive plan. Because listen to what the text says that she does. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear sheep. She took off her widow's clothes. Basically, she dresses herself as a prostitute. And she puts herself on the street corner, knowing that Judah is going to be passing by. And she tricks him, deceives him, because she disguises herself. Boy, that's a consistent theme, isn't it? Going all the way back to to Jacob and, and Esau and... It's just a common theme. And see, what we see in her and in her plan is her utter desperation that she's literally willing to dress up like a prostitute and stand at some corner and prostitute herself and have this incestuous relationship with her father-in-law, probably a man that she deeply despises. And I'll tell you one thing that I find stunning is God's silence on Tamar's action and her plan, especially in a text where God is so quick to call evil evil and to judge that evil. But what about Tamar? And see, then when you get further along into the story, Eventually, Judah is even going to say about Tamar, Tamar is more righteous than I. Do you know what the biblical word in Hebrew, righteous or righteousness, means? Do you? Take compassion, add to it, justice, and you get the Hebrew word tzedek or tzedakah, which is the word for righteous or righteousness. Righteousness is compassionate justice. Biblical righteousness is when the privileged help the underprivileged. It's when the strong help the weak. It's when the haves help the have-nots. That is the meaning of Sadak, righteousness, in your Old Testament. And see, this is the question at hand. On whose side is righteousness? On whose side is justice? And Judah's going to get to the point where he's going to say, justice and righteousness... It's on her side. Meaning, the big sin in this text is not Tamar's sin of prostitution or even Judah's shacking up. Look at verse 26. The big sin is Judah recognized them and said, she's more righteous this Righteous than I, since it was my idea to shack up with her. No. Since I wouldn't give her my son, Shalah. I deprive this widow justice. This is a big deal to God. This is a huge deal to God. Because 
This gets at God's heart. And that's why compassionate justice is at the heart of what it means to be righteous. I can't believe I don't have these texts. I'm going to have you look them up. Psalm 68, verse 5. Who has it? Who wants to go get it? Got you. Um, Psalm 146, verse 9 and 10. Who wants it? Right here. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Who wants it? Right back here. Isaiah 1, verse 17. Who wants it? I love this. I ought to do this more often. When you get this text, stand and read it. Go. Next. Psalm 146, 9 and 10. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God is on the Lord reigns. Amen. Next. Amen. I think we got one more. Yeah. Uh, verse 17. One verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. As a God's heart, I could take you to text after text after text text after text that express this. This is why James uh, says pure and undefiled religion. That's his way of saying true righteousness is taking care of the widow and the orphan. Are we pursuing righteousness? Are we pursuing compassionate justice? See, every society has their Tamars, those who are powerless, those who are marginalized. In that world, it was the widow, it was the orphan, it was the alien within the, their gates. We have the same thing today. And we are the ones who have. We have resources. We have power. Are we helping the powerless? We helping those without resources. Now this is Tamar. She is a powerless widow who's desperately seeking justice. Now let's look at Judah. Judah, we know, is one of Jacob's twelve sons. In fact, he's the fourth and youngest son of Leah. He's born into this special family, the family in which God's finger is upon. The family in which God is pouring himself into. The family by which God's going to save all the families of the earth. <laughs> yeah, here's Judah. Standing as an utter failure. And I want us to see that his, his failure is more than sexual. 
Because this goes all the way back to the previous chapter where Judah fails as a brother. I mean, he just heartlessly sells his, his own brother into slavery. He fails as a son. I mean, not only does he pawn his brother off, but he boldface lies to his dad and then every single day harbors this deceit in his heart. He fails as a father. His sons are wicked. He deprives his widowed daughter-in-law the justice that's due her. But I'm going to tell you what I think is the most disappointing thing about Judah. It's not his failures. Because look, you're looking at a failure. We're all going to fail. But what Judah lacks is the guts and the courage to admit him. I mean, when you look at verse 11, the second part there, for, it says, For Judah thought, he, he, my third son, may die too, just like his brothers. So he sends Tamar off to live with her father. See, what he's doing in verse 11 is he's blaming Tamar for the deaths of his two sons. Because he's not willing to admit that maybe his sons are messed up and that he's messed up. So instead, his mind just instinctively thinks, Tamar's the problem. That girl is trouble. There's no way I'm giving my third son to her. Because he's going to die too. And see, what he's doing then is he's projecting his failures, his sins, onto someone else. And to me, you want to know what short man's disease is? (laughs) This is it. It's when a man has no capacity to take responsibility for who he is and for what he's become and how his life and actions have affected other people. That's short man's disease. And this is Judah. He's so small that just rather than admit in his failures, Dad, I, I blew it. I blew it. Sons, I blew it. Tamar, I, I, I blew it. I failed. No, rather than doing this, this little midget projects his failures and his son's failures upon a weak, vulnerable widow. And see, this is more than small man's disease. This is wicked. And this is why he lives his life by a double standard. I mean, Judah gets to have sex whenever he wants, but but Tamar must stay a childless widow. And you're wondering if this was a one-time deal. Listen to me. You tell me how how Tamar would, would concoct such a plan if she didn't already know the kind of man that Judah was. She's going to stand at some street corner like a prostitute. She's only going to do that if she already knows the man Judah is. And I'll tell you, it's why this, this midget of a man is so critical and judgmental of other people. Little, little midgets like this are always the most critical and judgmental. 
They have to be. Because, like in this case, it confirms to the short man that he's not the problem. Tamar is the problem. I'm the good one. She's the bad one. Look at her. That little whore. Burner. Killer. Destroyer. And see, what Judah doesn't know, and what people who live this way don't know, for instance, if Judah does this, not only is he going to destroy Tamar, but what he's going to really do is he's going to destroy himself because he's going to have to spend the rest of his life trying to justify himself for doing something this wicked. See, this is how wickedness perpetuates itself. And this is how wickedness just continues to spiral further and further downward. A simple admission. I blew it. I was wrong. It goes a long way. Do you know that? Can you do that? Well, this is Judah. This guy who's born into the family of God, a family that probably knows more about God than 99.9% of the people walking the face of the earth at this time. And yet look at what this guy, born into the family of God, is capable of. He's capable of bad parenting, adultery, blame-shifting, hatred, and even a desire for murder. And this can be me and you. And so Judah, like all of us, desperately needs to have God break in, transform his heart and life. What Judah Judah needs is he needs spiritual awakening. And see, for a heart like Judah to actually come to life, to, to wake up, to wake up to who he is, and more importantly, to wake up to God, that heart must be exposed. See, Judah needs to do the most difficult thing he'll ever do. He needs to lay his wicked heart bare. And he needs to see it in all its ugliness. And Judah, like all of us, needs help in this. Because so oftentimes, I mean, think about this. Our worst failures, our worst flaws, which are so noticeable so often to other people, we're usually blind to them. So he needs someone to get him to recognize the man he is. And for this to happen, Judah must go down. He must go way down, because that's what Genesis 38 is about. Now this is about Judah's life going down. Verse 1, it says, And Judah left, and he went down. See, we've looked at Joseph's going down, how Joseph's life gets pushed into pits, into prisons, down into Egypt. Now we're going to look at how Judah and his life goes down. Because this is how God works. The way up is always down with God. God never exalts us without first humbling us, humiliating us. He never remakes us without first breaking us. And that's why God uses pits. That's why God uses prisons. And listen to me. 
That's why God can use even sin. Sin. My sin. Your sin. Sin of the worst kind to bring us down. And your sin will always do that. My sin will always do that. It will always bring us down. Now, I find it quite ironic that the vehicle of God's grace in Judah's life, the way grace is going to parate and break through into Judah, it's going to come through Tamar. Because think about it. This is so consistent with God. God's salvation will always come through a suffering servant. But look at how it comes. Look at verses 24 and 25. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she's now, now pregnant. Judas said, take her and burn her. And then verse 25, as Tamar was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and whose cord and whose staff these belong to. Literally, as they're, they're taking Tamar out to be killed, she takes, like I said, what would be the equivalent of Judah's wallet. She says, would you bring this to Judah and tell him, I said, Hakarna. Hakarna. See, Hakarna means more than just to see and to recognize. It means to examine something thoroughly, to discern it deeply. It means not just to see with the eye, but to see through the eye. And see, this is not Tamar just wanting Judah to take these objects and examine them, but Tamar wants Judah to thoroughly examine Judah. She wants Judah to discern deeply Judah. Judah. Do you recognize these things? Judah, do you recognize who you are? Can you see the man that you are? Can you see and discern your heart? Wake up, Judah, and see who you really are. Is this you today? You need to be woken up. Hawk or not? What's interesting about, about these, this, this, this phrase, hawk or not, the only other time it's used in this exact form is in the previous chapter. In Genesis 37. Where after Judah and his brothers violently throw their brother into a pit and then sell him off as a slave, they take uh, the, the, the coat, they get a goat, just like in our text here, they get a goat, kill it, spill its blood on it, they, they take this to their father Jacob, and in verse 31 or 32, 
They say, Father, Hakarna, please, Father, do you recognize whose cult this is? So now Tamar is using the same words, Hakarna, and I think in this moment, when he hears the words that he used to deceive his father, they come back to him now. I think it's like just a sword being thrust into his heart. It cuts him open. It lays him bare. In that moment, Judah is humiliated, not just publicly, but he's humiliated as probably for the first time. He's looking at his heart. Have you ever looked at your heart? Have you ever just had it ripped open, laid bare, and you can just look at it? Well, you're not in a place where you can just project this onto someone else and, and blame someone over here for, for this, but you just got to look at it. I'm going to tell you, waking up to who we are can be one of the most painful processes. And it can happen through some of the most painful events in life. It happens through pits. It, it happens through prisons. And, and sometimes it takes our own personal sin. Well, we can hock or not. That's why sometimes when I see or hear and a person is going down, 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 deep into sin. Sometimes I'm hopeful. Hocker and I might happen. They might be the first time. See who they are, what they are. And go from short man to mighty man. And see, what Judah needs to be woken up to is the fact that he is just as bad as Tamar. And that's why I love verse 26. It says, Judah recognized there's no them in the Hebrew. It's the same word. Hakarnah, Judah. And Judah does. He does what Tamar asks him to do. He's waking up. His heart now is being transformed because for the first time he's, he's acknowledging who he is. He, he's probably for the first time shifting all the blame that he placed on Tamar and he's taking it off her and he's placing it on himself. She is more righteous than me. I'm the man. I blew it. I'm the problem. I got to keep from getting ahead of ourselves because we're going to see this next time. We're going to see just how much spiritual awakening happens in Judah's life. I mean, the next time we read about him in Genesis 43 and Genesis 44 is this guy is a completely changed man. Because he's going to have a whole other opportunity where he's faced with this decision of either your life for me or my life for you. And in that moment, instead of sacrificing someone's 
someone else's life to justify his own life. Judah becomes the hero of the whole Joseph story. He sacrificially lays his life down. He says, my life. My life for you. Because God has finally broken into his life. Judah has been born again. And by the time you get to the end of Genesis, now I'm really getting ahead of myself. But at the end of Jacob's life, he's going to take his 12 sons. He's going to bless them. And listen to what Jacob, how he blesses Judah. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies and your father's sons will bow to you. You're a lion, Judah. And the scepter will not depart from Judah. Now the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Judah. This little man, by the end, the lion, a lion. Are you Judah today? The Judah of Genesis 38? Is your life going down because of your sin? Have you really woken up to who you are? I mean, like I said, coming to this truth... And going to this whole process of, of, of being reborn and, and waking up, not just to ourselves, but more importantly to God. And, and having our hearts just exposed and laid bare. I mean, it can be scary. It can be unsettling. It takes guts. It takes courage. But you know how we can do it? It's not because we're so good. The reason why I can expose me and expose my heart and and, and lay it bare and and look at it and examine it, discern it. Not because I'm so good, because he's so good. See, in our story, Tamar gets her life back. She gets her life back because Judah spares her life and declares her to be Righteous, in spite of all her sin, in spite of all the mistakes that she makes, Tamar, you are righteous. Because Judah covered it. See, when Tamar is pointing us to what we all need, I heard it this morning from Jamie. She needed for someone to look at her when she was in the pit and say, you're righteous. I declare you to be righteous. That's what we need. We need someone who can fully examine us, who knows us from the inside out, and still say, Rod, you are righteous. See, and what Judah is doing here is he's pointing us to the ultimate Judah. Because it's Judah, not Joseph, not Reuben, or any of the other 12 brothers. Judah is the father of Peretz, breakthrough. And even more than that, Judah is the father of Jesus. See, the Toledot of Jacob 
It runs through Judah. The promised seed of Genesis 3 verse 15 that's going to break through and it's going to crush the head of evil once and for all. It's coming through Judah. And see, what we all need is this ultimate Judah, the Christ, to look at us and in spite of who we are in all our sin, to declare us righteous. And this is what he does. You know how Jesus does this? It's completely the opposite of Judah in Genesis 38 because Judah was going to punish Tamar for Judah's sin. But the ultimate Judah, the Christ, takes the punishment for our sin. And see, this is why Jesus right now can look at you, he can look at me and say, you are righteous. Because he who committed no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And what I just gave to you there is the gospel. And see, the gospel always tells me two things. And these two realities burn in my heart. The first is that I am more sinful than I could ever imagine myself to be. I'm Judah. But also with that is I'm more loved than I could ever, ever dare dream. And see, most people go through life and come to neither realization. In fact, they spend their whole life in bondage to this game of pretend. Pretending to be more than they really are. Always trying so hard to keep up this facade. Running, hiding, always trying harder to prove themselves and justify themselves that they are more. You are a sinner. Relax. He loves you. And I'm a sinner. And I can relax. Because he loves me. In fact, one of the ways that you will know that the gospel has actually freed you is when your heart can say about anyone and everyone, including your worst enemies, you're more righteous than me. Genesis 38. When I understand this text, it makes the first chapter and the first verses of the New Testament text that I used to find so boring, now one of my most favorite places in the Bible. You can go there if you want. I'm going to wrap it up with this. <laughs> but this is how our New Testament starts. This is the genealogy, or the Toledot, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and Judah, the father of Peretz, whose mother was Tamar. 
And see, now we have the fulfillment to Genesis 3, verse 15. The Peretz that God promised. This breakthrough. God breaking through into the mess. To bring shalom to chaos. And the genealogy, if you didn't know this, in, in, in that day was one's resume. Just look who God puts in the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus. He puts Judah. He puts Tamar. There are dirty, rotten sinners in this genealogy. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is proud of his genealogy. And you know what this means? It means it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. You just look at Judah. And God can break into your mess. And he can make you clean, and he can transform you, and he can bring you into his family. And Hebrews 2.10 says, and Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother. Do you need breakthrough today? Maybe your life is going down like Judah's. Come clean. Lay your heart bare. And come to him, and he will set you free. Let's pray. And I just thank you that you're a God who enters the mess. You enter the mess of the widow and the orphan and the weak and the powerless. And you enter the mess of sinners of whom I'm the worst. And you Exalt us, and you change us, and you transform us, and you bring us into your family. Thank you. And God, for anyone who is in bondage today, set them free, Lord. Let them let go of hiding and running and deceiving. Let them lay their heart bare to a God that loves them, who welcomes sinners, who came for sinners.